Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be here. I'm so excited and I want to dive right in for all of our listeners. Can you please introduce yourself and share a little bit about your role at the University of Michigan? Sure. My name is Michael Meyer, and I'm a professor in the Department of Astronomy, and I have been with UM since 2016. Fantastic. And in what areas does your research focus? I study how planets like Jupiter in our own solar system, as well as planets like Earth in our own solar system, form around stars like the Sun in our Milky Way galaxy. That work also involves detecting and characterizing planets around other stars, which we refer to as exoplanets. And by looking at the statistics of those other worlds, it helps us constrain theories of how planets form. That's so fascinating. And we're really excited and gracious for your time today especially considering that NASA recently released these astonishing photos that were taken from the James Webb Telescope. And you have a very unique perspective on this, being one of the scientists who contributed to the design and construction of the telescope. So can you tell us about your team's contributions and your experience working on this? Sure. So I was very fortunate as a young person in the early part of my career to get involved with the James Webb Space Telescope by serving on a committee that one of my mentors uh, proposed that I could join, and I was accepted, which was good for me at the time. This committee was charged with looking at aspects of what was then called the Next Generation Space Telescope, and in particular, we had the opportunity to try to write descriptions of what the instruments that would eventually be on this telescope would look like, what they could do, and what their parameters should be. And that was a very uh, exciting thing to be involved with as a younger person. And ultimately, I later joined the faculty at the University of Arizona in the year 2000. And under the leadership of my colleague, Marsha Riki, who incidentally is from Midland in Michigan, she led a proposal team at that time, which was successful and won the contract from NASA to build the near-infrared camera for the James Webb Space Telescope. And I've been involved with that effort since 2001. A little bit later, I was invited to join the Canadian instrument team that built an instrument called NERIS, uh, sponsored by the Canadian Space Agency. And in both of these roles, I had a relatively minor hand in a team of uh, dozens to hundreds, up to a thousand people uh, at multiple universities and companies around the United States and even around the world uh, that had a hand in building these instruments for the James Webb. Uh, specifically, I had the uh, interesting task of trying to decide what filters or what uh, shades of color uh, we should be looking at with the near-infrared camera, which we call NearCam, with the James Webb. And also over a, a period of years, the nature of the Canadian instrument NERIS uh, evolved quite a lot from the earliest designs to 
the present version that we have, which is a very versatile and unique uh, instrument on the James Webb. So in the past almost 25 years now, uh, it's been very, very exciting to be a small part of what is a huge international team of thousands of people who have contributed to this incredible uh, success that we're enjoying today. That's so amazing. So what was your reaction having had these experiences? What was your reaction to seeing the images that were released last week? Well, the whole journey has has been a bit of a roller coaster. Uh, there have been times in the past when things were not going well uh, with James Webb, particularly about 10 years ago, and we weathered some storms and delays, and yes, uh, uh, cost overruns as well. Sometimes when you're building something so unique and so uh, incredible, you don't really know how all of the pieces are going to fit together. And so despite your best planning and your care to, to uh, look into all the details, sometimes things surprise you and are more complex than you had foreseen. So when the final uh, launch went so spectacularly, when all of the uh, single point failure operational modes uh, went off without a hitch through December and January, and when the commissioning uh, really went as flawless as one could imagine such a set of tasks going, it was just incredible to see those first pictures. They were are breathtaking to working astronomers as well as to the general public. And um, it was really uh, you know spine tingling. It makes the hair stand up on the back of your head. Um, a couple of, of things that struck me when I saw the very first images of the uh, many, many, many galaxies that are being uh, lensed by uh, the gravitational mass of a very massive foreground uh, galaxy cluster, the, the actual uh, matter in that galaxy cluster acts like a lens and bends the light uh, that we can see things even in the greater, greater distance behind them that we would have never been able to see. Seeing all of those galaxies and the work that I do trying to understand uh, the frequency of planets around other stars makes you wonder in all those galaxies with all those stars in all those galaxies, how many worlds could there be uh, perhaps a little bit like our own, uh, which might harbor life. And that is really a, a kind of a, you know, quest that we have in my field that has gone on for thousands of years, really, philosophically. And it's something that will go on in the future. We won't get answers now, probably not with James Webb, but it's the kind of question that spurs us on for uh, decades, maybe even centuries to come. So that was one thing that struck me. And the other thing was um, looking at those pictures of the Carina star-forming nebula. Um, they, it really looks to me like a mountain range, uh, like the many uh, that I uh, in, encountered when I lived in Tucson, Arizona. And when you explore mountains, you you know follow different paths. You you think you know where you're going, but uh, just like a hiker on a mountain trail, sometimes you get distracted. You get drawn off the trail to investigate something. And sometimes that treasure that you find is, is more interesting than anything you could have imagined the hike would give you. And I think as astronomers, that's the kind of sense of wonder that we have. We, we think we know what we're looking for. We think we know where we're heading. But indeed, it is almost always the case that with a new facility like the James Webb Space Telescope, the discoveries that we will make with it, the most spectacular ones will be those that we couldn't have foreseen. And that is really um, something that I see in those images. They have that potential. 
to change our view of the universe in ways that we can't yet imagine. So building on that, and you know, these are obviously really significant images, and can you describe um, some of that significance and what this innovation means to space science? Well, the James Webb uh, itself is a real marvel of engineering. Over the years, as it became clear what the kind of uh, architecture of the observatory would have to be, how it would be packaged in its rocket, how it would need to unfurl in space, how it would be orbiting uh, at a place where currently we have no capacity to send astronauts to fix it, as it were, if something were to go awry, one was afraid that something would indeed go wrong. And to have all of those incredible mechanisms uh, work so precisely and to have really very, very minor, if any, uh, flaws in the whole process was really uh, just stupefying. I mean, I, I really could not believe that something uh, didn't go wrong in that whole process. And so it was incredibly uh, uh, gratifying to see that. It really drives us to think and wonder about what we might be able to do in space. Um, colleagues of mine uh, and myself, we, we have ideas for what we could do in the future, different kinds of space exploration, different ways of utilizing uh, the space between the Earth and the Moon, and then going on to explore the rest of the solar system, and deploying uh, fleets of uh, great observatories in the future that would unlock secrets in different wave bands in the universe. And when you see something like the James Webb so successfully carry out its mission, it really inspires you and it makes you feel that you really can do great things in space. And we're all very excited about uh, what those possibilities are and might be. I think the other thing that James Webb showed us is the strength of our, uh, when we work together, what we can do. And it really is an international partnership led by NASA but with strong participation from the European Space Agency and the Canadian Space Agency. And then uh, working between universities, the government uh, through NASA and our industry partners. It really shows what that kind of cooperation can do. And eventually we will understand what kinds of technological spinoffs uh, came from JWST and how they will have uh, sparked innovation in our own economy going forward. So all of these are, are things that are touched on uh, by the success of the James Webb Space Telescope. You were referencing in a response to an earlier question, the unique discoveries and um, the different ways that these images are really depicting things that we haven't seen before. So can you talk a little bit about what scientists have discovered from these observations or how has the idea of star formation with like the Carina Nebula, for example, changed since the release of these images? Well, this kind of science is, is something that is not done overnight. So we are still digesting these images. Uh, at the time of this recording, it's been less than a week since I have had eyes on these very pictures. And so we have a lot of work ahead of us, and uh, we're just now starting to scratch the surface. I think with regard to the, uh, the Carina Nebula images of the star forming regions, and this is a topic in an area that I've worked on, it really splays out in vivid, uh, high definition, uh, multicolor resolution, what 
complex forces are at play in the process of forming stars. Ultimately, gravity is pulling material together to form the next generation of stars. And inside of stars, the elements are fused to create more complex and heavier elements. So for example, uh, in a star like our sun, hydrogen and helium, uh, sorry, hydrogen, multiple hydrogen atoms are combined to form helium atoms and so on uh, as the elements are created in the furnaces of stars. In these images, what you're seeing is the dynamic impact of just newly formed stars on the material that's left over. And in some cases, that interaction causes the formation of new stars. There are blast waves or shock waves which are pressing into the nebula that you see, and that compression uh, enhances the density of material and can cause gravitational collapse to form new stars. But at the same time, you're also seeing that previous generation of stars injecting energy into that nebula in the form of the radiation and the winds that are heating up the gases that you see, um, but also things like jets and outflows. This is a, you know, we think of star formation as being a process of gravity pulling everything together, but as part of that process unfolding, some material is in fact ejected from the collapsing protostar along polar axes. And that energy injected into the remaining material makes it slightly harder for those new regions to form stars. So there's a real delicate balance between uh, igniting or, or initiating star formation and injecting energy in the system at the same time that regulates it or might even shut it off eventually. And so what I, the way I think of it is there's a huge amount of chaos going on in that picture, but when you average out all of the chaos, you're left with a kind of a, a beautiful equilibrium uh, that is dictating how stars are forming out of a, a, a mountain of gas and dust, as you see in that image of the Carina Nebula. I guess the other thing just to add about the other images, and what's been remarkable about seeing some of the commissioning images, that almost in every single picture you take, the field is just littered with background galaxies. I'm mostly interested in the very, very nearby things, the stars that are big and bright, and we take these beautiful pictures of the stars, but every image that I've seen so far has dozens of galaxies in the background. And we sort of know that intellectually they're there because we have some sense of the population of these objects in the deep universe and, and how they might uh, correspond on the sky. But when you, you really see those pictures coming off and, and to see all of those galaxies, it really uh, boggles the mind uh, how sensitive this new instrument is. And the anticipation of the discoveries to come is almost overwhelming. Thank you for that incredible explanation. And uh, I, I want to ask now a little bit about the, if you can give us a similarly um, in-depth description to help us understand what makes the James Webb Space Telescope so advanced that it has the ability to capture images like you were just describing. Well, uh, for one thing, uh, the aperture of the telescope, 6.5 meters in diameter, is significantly larger than any previous space telescope that astronomers have used to study the heavens at these wavelengths. The infrared is a place where we can see very cool objects, and I mean that in the sense of their temperature. Uh, it also allows us to penetrate clouds of gas and dust because uh, the shorter the wavelength and the visible and ultraviolet part of the spectrum, 
the uh, enhanced scattering uh, occurs between as the light moves through the medium. And so the infrared light is less perturbed by the dust. And thus, we're able to see through clouds of gas and dust to new stars forming, new planets forming, and to the embedded inner regions of our galaxy. And also because of the nature of the expansion of the universe and the way in which when we look at images at great distances, we're essentially looking back in time and through great distances in space, those um, photons, the light that we see in the visible part of the spectrum is stretched into the infrared part of the spectrum. And for all these reasons, the infrared turned out to be the place to go uh, with the design of the James Webb. On the ground, we can make observations in part of the spectrum in these wavelength ranges. A lot of the light is blocked by the Earth's atmosphere in these wavelength ranges. And so being in space, we get access to the full spectrum, not just the tiny windows that our atmosphere allows to get to the Earth. And perhaps the biggest uh, advantage of being in space is that it's easier to cool the whole instrument package, the telescope, and everything associated with the observatory down to very low temperatures. Whereas on the ground, uh, when we're even at observatories that are in high dry mountain sites, the whole telescope, everything that is in our observatory is glowing at the wavelengths that we're looking. And it's providing a huge source of background noise in the images. So by going into space and cooling our telescopes, the fact that it's larger and the fact that it can access the whole part of the infrared spectrum, the observations with the James Webb Space Telescope are, it's a thousand times more sensitive and it would take a million times longer to even make the tiny fraction of the observations that you could make from the ground uh, feasible. And that factor of a million is just, uh, it, it is enabling. It, it allows you to do things in space that you simply could never, ever, ever do from the ground. And that just opens up the universe to us in new wavelengths and to study it in new ways with James Webb that we simply would not be able to do without it. From your perspective, why is it important to not only capture these more detailed images of space, but to also share them with people all around the world? Well, I think as astronomers, we have technical questions that we're trying to answer as we're, science is progressing uh, going forward. Um, but ultimately, I think all of us, and, and it's true historically, have wondered um, where we come from and where we're going and whether we're alone in the universe. And I think these uh, three questions animate us, the general public, uh, everyone, to you know, wonder about our place in the universe. And to me, these kinds of discoveries that will be enabled by the James Webb Space Telescope sets our, uh, our being here in context. Uh, we can learn about the origin of the universe. We can learn about its ultimate fate. And eventually, uh, maybe not in the next few years, but eventually, I think we will be able to answer the question of whether life as we understand it is a common occurrence in the Milky Way galaxy or whether it is extremely rare uh, and perhaps we could be the only existence of it that we would ever uh, come across in our universe. I think the jury is still out on that answers to those questions, but this kind of work I think can be very inspiring uh, for everyone. It can also be a window into science and the scientific method and, and help people understand our technical world uh, a little bit better. 
And I think it reminds us that, as I said before, we can do great things um, when we put our minds to it and work together in, in uh, efficient and, and useful ways. So I, I think it's just a, a wonderful commitment that our country and, and our civilization has made to building these kinds of monuments, if you want to call them that, that allow us to look out and, and to put our own existence into some context. You've shared so much incredible insight and described some really you know, innovative and complex topics with us. But what I want to ask you next might be one of the more difficult questions to answer. And that is, what is something that you hope everyone listening takes away with them from this conversation and this information that you've shared? NASA does great things, uh, and it can do even greater things in the future if we continue to support it. But it's also important to remember that there have been um, historical barriers to uh, everyone participating equally and uh, within that uh, scientific community. And that's something that, that we are very cognizant of uh, now. And NASA and the astrophysics community is trying to remove those barriers to participation that have historically existed. It's a, a set of inequities which are throughout our culture and civilization, but also uh, specific to the work that we do in, in science and technology arenas. And uh, it percolates through the work that NASA does as well. Um, we feel, all of us uh, in the community, that this kind of uh, revisiting the, the traditional barriers that have existed for, for uh, populations that are underrepresented in the NASA space science community, doing that, um, it makes our community more inclusive, more diverse, more equitable, uh, and accessible. And all of those things really contribute to making the science that we do more excellent, uh, because the more people that can participate in it, uh, the better all of us will be, the more interesting and clever and creative solutions that we will find to the, the problems that we have. Um, and I guess I also hope that some people listening may be inspired to learn a little bit more about JWST, maybe follow it online, uh, perhaps engage in local uh, informal education uh, activities at your local science museum or planetarium, uh, which will surely be following some of the work of, of JWST going forward. Um, and some of the listeners, perhaps even if they're young, uh, might consider more formal ways of getting involved in science and technology and engineering and mathematics disciplines, and perhaps even find themselves uh, working on data from the James Webb Space Telescope or even at NASA in the future. So that would uh, really uh, uh, be a wonderful outcome uh, of people listening to this conversation today. Uh, we're very excited about uh, JWST, and we're very grateful uh, for the support uh, from the taxpayers in the United States that have helped make JWST possible. And uh, we hope that everyone can participate and uh, be a part of uh, the wonder and discoveries to come. Dr. Meyer, thank you so much for your time today and sharing all of this incredible information with us. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.